I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome once again to the Purple Patch Podcast. This is your host as ever, Matt Dixon. And this week, well, quite simply, it's a very special one. The backbone of this show is education around performance in both sport and life. And today, well, quite simply, we go for the jugular. The topic, hydration, sport, work and life. If you're a pro athlete, an amateur athlete, a fitness enthusiast, an executive or busy professional, just simply looking for a better energy management in life, you are going to love this. Our guest, Andy Blow, the founder of Precision Hydration. Andy's a former professional triathlete, but has evolved to become one of the leading resources on the subject of hydration in the world. Working with many of the top elite triathletes, he also works with professional athletes and teams across the sports spectrum, including the Major League and the NBA. He also works with various corporations and executive teams to help with better energy management and hydration practices. But I want you to hear for yourself. And before we dive in, I'll say one thing. My favourite part of this discussion, it felt like a real down and dirty, honest, what I would call coaches chat. This is no infomercial. It's straight talking education and practical advice and all around the aspect of hydration. I learnt plenty and well, I know you will too. As you'll find out when we get into the show, once Andy and I get chatting, well, we kind of roll. So this week, we don't have time for question of the week. There's no jingle. I know you're going to miss it. Nor do we have time to take questions from you folks. Although, please do keep the questions coming, as I promise a couple of questions next week will be answered. After the show, please stay tuned for a very special and generous offer from Precision Hydration. But without further ado, me, Andy Blow, Hydration. Please enjoy. All right, guys, so it is the meat and potatoes. We start today, and today, well, as you guys know, a special guest, Andy Blow from Precision Hydration. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me on, Matt. Really pleased to be able to chat with you. We haven't actually met in person yet, but uh, but I feel like I sort of almost know you already and uh, but what 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 I want to do today hopefully as you as you coming onto the show is so many of our listeners sort of have two parts of their life they have athletic pursuit so obviously seeking performance within the sporting arena something that you know much about but then they also want to thrive in the other aspects of their life health work and obviously the best ber- version of themselves are the family and so hopefully we can stumble upon have a little bit of a coach's talk as i like to as i like to suggest and uh, and see where we go in the conversation today so um it should be fun and interesting i hope yeah sounds good sounds good well let's um let's go through and let's actually start all the way back at the injuries i think it's uh, it's really valuable you are english like myself but i'd love to know a little bit about your background tell me the quick and dirty on your origins your family education where you sort of started on that side of things yeah, sure. Well, I um, I grew up yeah in England in in the Midlands in Leicestershire. Um, I was I'm 40 years old now, so I was born in 78. And like probably most English kids of, of or boys at least of my age, I was big into into playing football or soccer. Yeah. Um, that was what that was my early passion. 
sporting wise certainly and probably my, my biggest passion overall I was an avid football fan and, and played Sunday league football pretty convinced I think as about an eight nine ten year old that I was going to be a professional football player um, when I was when I was in the early part of that part of that learning curve where you don't realize quite quite the necessary level of talent that you need for that sort of thing so um, yeah I pursued I pursued soccer as a as a youngster and um, gradually sort of um, realized I think as I was becoming a teenager that I wasn't actually all that great at it and I was doing a bit of cross-country running and swimming as well my dad was was pretty good um, at, at pushing me to do and try different sports and ended up kind of doing doing some uh, little swim run races as part of almost as part of the fitness for football and found that I was doing a bit better at those than than I was at, at, at football itself and sporting wise that's what led me gradually into the path of multi-sport and triathlon which I then took up pretty seriously for a number of years and when how about in parallel to that with education you uh g- give me a little background in, on your educational path and how that paralleled your sport in many ways yeah i was i, I went to a, a normal sort of you know um junior school and, and comprehensive schools in in the uk and studied uh, i studied gcse pe which was very new at that time because i was very interested in sport because I was playing it myself and and then for my A-levels I actually did sports studies and biology with a view to either doing physiotherapy or medicine or or sports science when I when, when I went to university. It, so, it, it, it's yeah. interesting I did sports studies A-levels and I remember uh, people turning their noses up rather at that it was this new concept of sort of exercise physiology at the time eh? it was yeah. a little bit of a, a maverick sort of study at that time. Yeah, it was a different one, wasn't it? And and I had a really good a really good teacher for that, who was who was very much you know into all sorts of different sports and liked to encourage us to to go and pursue things that we were interested in. And I remember we did a uh, he allowed me to do for one of my studies an aerodynamics study on cycling because I was getting into triathlon at that time. And what I remember what my dad and I did was we set up this rudimentary aero test where. We, we went up a big hill near near my house in different types of cycling clothing and sitting in different positions on a on a bike, you know, with aero bars and without and timed how long it would take to roll down the hill to see what was more aerodynamic. So that was when I first sort of got into studying sport, if you like. Real world real world wind tunnel. That's what yeah. that is. It's Yeah, uh, back in the back in the nineties. Yeah. Back in the real world. And and spare the humility. Tell us a little bit about your triathlon background. Because you got a you got a very strong pedigree in, in the sport. Well, I, I was really lucky when I went to university. I w- before university I was doing triathlon kind of self-coached and I used to um, train with Leicester Triathlon Club which was one of the early triathlon clubs there's only about 30 members um, and and a lot of the the older guys there helped me out to, tr- to train but I was I was kind of reasonable level but you know not nothing particularly special then I went to university at the University of Bath just as they were starting as a triathlon high performance center I met a guy called, uh, who I, uh, I believe you know Paul Newsom who um, yep. was on sports science course with me who's the founder of swim smooth and Paul was a very good triathlete junior triathlete by that stage being coached by Chris Jones and and when I went to uni I started I, I lived in the the accommodation block next to Paul we started training together and that's when I started to sort of 
progress and and within about seven or eight months of training full-time with Paul following Chris Jones's program I got my first junior GB vest going to the duathlon European championships and and that's that was what started to make me feel like I wanted to you know have a have a real serious go at, at triathlon and multi-sport uh, so yeah we we then trained under Richard Hobson when he yep. was coaching at, at Bath and we were fortunate in that they were everyone was building up to the 2000 Olympics there so Simon Lessing was training uh, in Bath and a, and a whole group of other really great athletes Julie Dibbins and people like that and we you know I got sort of sucked along with that group and, and did a fair bit of training got up to a reasonable level um, I was never going to make the gains realistically so I, I then flipped to having a go at Ironman and Xterra in the early 2000s and I, I got an age group uh, world title at Xterra in I think it was either 2000 or 2001 and then went on and did um, half Ironman and an Ironman for a few years got a couple of podiums and top 10s in regional competitions and then and then came the birth of something called precision so i'd, I'd love to dive into the uh, not not all of the listeners particularly stateside necessarily although you really are sort of emerging over here uh, to a much greater degree but not not everyone w- will know precision why don't you just give me the quick and dirty first on on what you do as a company yeah. and uh, well, and then we'll go into the why yeah, so what we do with precision hydration is um, sweat testing um, a different a range of different strength individualized hydration products to make individualizing hydration very simple for athletes. So we we can analyze sweat uh, rate, sweat composition, and we have four different formulations or four different strengths of electrolyte replacement that that bet- can better meet an individual's needs because individual needs are quite variable. And that that all started from, um, well, essentially started from personal experience of of mine going to Kona and going to other hot Ironman races and and having catastrophic experiences because, as it turned out, although I may not be a a champion triathlete, I am actually a champion sweater. So (laughs) at least I've got at least I've got that on my CV. (laughs) <laughs> and that's that's really i mean every, every founder that i have met they've got a very strong why behind it and in many ways yours was born out of the why was born out of your own in some ways personal exploration yeah um uh, yeah. by the way and as you answer that i have had a, cat- a catastrophic experiences in hawaii too so i share your pain don't worry about that but uh yeah. t- tell me the, the mission of the company originally when you started did you realize that you would grow to the level that you have and and where life has brought you now no, I think definitely not. It started out as a pure, it was complete curiosity that got that got us going down the route. I was just interested. A friend of mine who's a doctor, um, Dr. Raj Jutley, who's actually a heart surgeon and a very amazing guy, he was the one who pointed me in the direction of sweat composition testing because he'd seen white salt marks on my kit and clothing after events and said that he thought that I could be losing a lot of salt and I said well you know how do we figure that out and he said well nip to the hospital and we'll I'll show you how we do sweat test got me sweat tested and I found out that I lose a lot of sodium a lot of salt in my sweat just because of the way different individual sweat glands function there is quite a lot of variance in that that's that parameter um, and you know once 
once Dr. Jutley had shown me that and gave me some suggestions on what I should do in terms of electrolyte replacement when I was training and racing, it was like, an, because I was losing so much, it was like a night and day difference for me. And I, I kind of parked the, the ideas around it once I'd solved my own problem, as, as I guess you often do as an athlete, because I figured out something that helped me and then it was time to move on and there were lots of other things to focus on. But as I as I stopped competing so seriously and I was setting up my own business to to work with athletes, I, I was running a sports science lab and I, I thought I'm going to incorporate sweat testing into the battery of tests we can offer because for me it was a, it made a big difference. So then we started testing people and we, we actually quite early on were, were asked to go and test some of the England rugby team. Oh, and interesting. It was at that point I started to think, well, actually, this could be interesting to loads of different athletes, not just triathletes or endurance athletes, but this could, could be interesting. And we, we just evolved from there. Um, what, what really made a big change, though, was around 2010, 2011, we were trying to offer people you know, advice on what to do once they'd had sweat tests and we identified what their likely hydration needs were. We were drawing up a massive spreadsheet of hydration products on the market and saying, well, this one will fit this guy best and this one might be most appropriate for this guy. But it was very complex. And at the coalface, working with athletes, especially in a squad or a team setting, it was very difficult to implement any actual effective change. So we decided to sort of set precision hydration up as a business and produce some of our own products, some of our own drinks. And the way we describe it is that we, whereas the, the, the sports drink industry tends to give everybody a, a medium, if it was a, if it was a t-shirt, if we use that analogy, we would, we would produce a smaller, medium, a large and an extra large and try to make it easy for people to select which one would work best for them. Nice, so yeah. That, it's a great, great analogy. Yeah, it's I get it, and and still, still, it's sort of boiling down, complex to simple, still and accessible. Uh, you mentioned the coal face, not not making it paralysis of analysis, but still making it approachable. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's about for me. I've, I although I've got a background in sports science, I sort of still think of myself a little bit more as a as, a, or at least come from the angle of being an athlete and to an extent a coach as well because I've done a bit of coaching and trying to trying to figure out things out that can affect change with athletes or you where you can put a, a practical solution or, or or you can use some information very practically to change what someone's doing that was one of my frustrations when I was doing lots of lab-based sports science was often we do lots of lab-based fitness testing which was interesting but wasn't always changing what athletes were doing yeah. Whereas what I found with the sweat testing and being able to play around with the, the, the different products is you can affect change really quickly, simply and easily. The test that we do is a non-exercise test. So it takes 15 or 20 minutes. And, you know, I, I was actually um, in the US, as you know, at the moment, I, I was in with a major league baseball team yesterday and they wanted us to test one of their athletes who's been having lots of soft tissue problems, some cramping problems and some some problems in the heat and we we sweat tested him he turned out to be like me almost identical actually very high sodium loss in his sweat as you know that afternoon we were able to implement new hydration regime with him because he was only previously just drinking lots and lots of water 
and we we tried we're trying with some electrolytes and so straight away we've been able to you know affect hopefully what what will turn out to be a positive change for that guy and it's very simple and and i enjoy that i enjoy being able to you know go in and actually give athletes something to to try that might benefit them immediately and see the results and real world yeah it's, it's yeah. wonderful well let, let's take a step back and let's start at the ground up and let's talk about hydration from an educational standpoint and and i should preface this i guess when when i talk as a coach uh, you know I, I have my master's in clinical yeah. physiology but i always i say i did that in the late 90s i'm not a physiologist i'm a coach and that's yeah. the angle that i bring to this conversation when i talk to athletes to give us some context about hydration i sort of i i bucket it into into different sections i talk about performance hydration so the fluids that they're taking in before during and immediately following a workout yeah. and then daily life and so you, you might think of it in different terms and, and that's great if you do don't don't follow my lead but yeah. um in my lens i'm asking you the these sort of questions now on performance hydration yeah. so sort of in and around exercise can you can you explain to us the the reason that hydration is important very basic yeah. question. Pr principally for for exercise performance hydration is, m is is mainly important for maintaining blood volume because what you're doing as you exercise and sweat is you're you're losing blood volume your sweat comes from your blood plasma it's from your extracellular fluid and hydration be it the sort of hydration status you begin exercise with or where you end up after minutes or hours of, of exercise when you're sweating a lot will will have a huge bearing on your cardiovascular output if you because if you lose too much sweat too much sweat volume and it's you, you're losing too much blood volume that is principally what's going to affect your performance now there are other you know being having compromised hydration can do all sorts of other nasty things to the body in terms of you know the um the, the state of your muscles and tendons and ligaments it can it can affect your concentration and your perceived exertion it can affect your thermoregulation and all of those things combine to that that if you if you get it wrong or if you particularly on the on the low side if you get dehydrated or underhydrated it will it will really it will it will cost you and it's once you become very dehydrated it's a long way back you know it's not a, a, it's not some it's not a situation you can turn around very quickly when you're actually trying to perform yeah so almost very very different than let's say if somebody as they as they like to say bonked and they ran yeah. out of calories you can take a quick hit of coke or, or a gel or something you might be able to come back over the course of minutes but once you're exactly, in the hole of yeah. hydration, dehydration, you're not coming out of it in the course of the event, really, are you? No, you're you're largely if you become you know if you become seriously dehydrated, as can happen in you know longer, hotter endurance events, it's generally kind of if not game over, it's certainly game over in terms of the top performance. Yeah, game compromised at the very least. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and then on 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 the flip side, of course, you've got. You know, you've got the you've got the overhydration problem, which which because dehydration has been so um, magnified in everyone's minds over the last twenty or thirty years with with sports science kind of going down the route of 
know, trying to prevent dehydration, we see, I would say we see as many problems with athletes in a performance setting overhydrating as we do underhydrating. And that's where there's a, a, a really big balancing act comes in to try and sit somewhere between those two extremes. But there's a whole cascade, even up to life-threatening, of overhydration of, of negative consequences as well, yeah? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I, I learned the hard way about this with um, a condition called hypernatremia, which is hypernatremia describes you know, low blood sodium levels. And low blood sodium levels in a clinical, you know, if you talk about it clinically, are very, very dangerous. Um, your, your body controls your blood sodium level between about 135 and 145 millimoles all the time if it can. It's a bit like your core body temperature. It doesn't like it to fluctuate very much. Yeah. And when you're exercising and sweating, you're losing you know, salt and fluid. And if you just don't replace anything, your blood sodium levels actually rise because you lose more, you lose more fluid relatively than salt. And so your blood becomes thicker and saltier and you become thirsty. But if you just drink water over, and, and if you just drink a lot of water or very low sodium fluids, as, as some athletes do some of the time, you actually over time run the risk of, of diluting your blood down. And I remember vividly doing the Nice triathlon in the days before it was an Ironman, when it was the World Long Distance Championships, and being very paranoid in the days before because it was going to be hot and drinking lots and lots of water, and then drinking bottles and bottles of water on the bike, and ending up in a real, real mess um, on the run with being a bit delirious and not being able to walk properly. And I did finish, but I, I definitely had. A, a you know a case of hypernatremia and it was quite scary and you know i think that it, it, this is going to sound so simplistic but there's context to this question you, you talked about sodium a lot and uh, electrolytes and you've just gone there and I, I received a question into the podcast a couple of weeks ago that said i noticed that you mentioned electrolytes but can you tell me about sodium? And what that made me realize is I think I should ask you to explain electrolytes because it's a yeah. word that high-end athletes really understand. Yeah. But many lay people have a hard time carving through the blizzard of bullshit out there. Yeah. And so let's really explain that because I think it will provide context really to what precision does in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. Ele electrolytes are you know, charged ions, um, things like the ones that most people have heard of are potassium, calcium, magnesium, sodium that you've mentioned, chloride. And they, a lot of them are swimming around in your body's intracellular and extracellular fluid. And they are responsible for um, assisting or facilitating cellular communication and all sorts of other jobs within the body. Um, they are held and regulated in pretty tight balance so for example your the, the principal electrolyte in your in your intracellular fluid so the fluid that's stored inside your body cells is potassium and the principal electrolyte that's held in your extracellular fluid which is all of your blood and interstitial fluid is sodium and the the the, the difference in the electrical charge between the sodium and the potassium is what maintains um, balance between cell membranes allows communication and when that balance goes out of whack it's when you start to have problems um, the reason that we talk a lot about sodium specifically when we're talking about hydration and, and certainly hydration in athletes at least is that you're sweating 
is it causes you to lose extracellular fluid. So because your sweat is drawn from that pool where sodium is the predominant electrolyte, you predominantly lose sodium in your sweat. So although you might lose small amounts of potassium, calcium, magnesium, and other electrolytes, in actual fact, the, the one that, that really matters when you're talking about acute sweating and hydration is sodium. We just need to package that two minutes and just have that as the primary lead for every nutrition company out there. <laughs> and, and one more thing to add is, believe it or not, listeners, you don't just get electrolytes and sodium through tablet form. And, uh, and, and I think that's another point of confusion is many people don't realize electrolytes are in our food. And, yeah. and so maybe just talk about that in a little, in a little bit. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because most people, most of the time, there's been a, there's been a suggestion in the last few years by led sort of led predominantly by Professor Tim Noakes, who's a South African physiologist that some people, some of the listeners will have no doubt come across that where he said, you know, all of this, you know, marketing BS from sports drink industry that you need X, Y, and Z in your drinks is a load of old rubbish. We get the electrolytes we need from our food. You just need to, you know, eat proper food, drink water when you're thirsty and, and all will be good. And, to a, to a very large extent, he's he's right when it comes to most people, most of the time, because you know we do get a lot of, of salt and so, sodium in our general diet, and then we drink water when we're thirsty. The body regulates the balance of the two by either causing you to pee more or less, and causing you to pee out more sodium or, or retain it in the body, and so you know everything stays tickety boo. If you, if, you, if you start to sweat really heavily, though, for prolonged periods of time, there can become a point where if the foods that you're eating, you know, and, and some sports nutrition foods or, or real foods that people eat during exercise will contain reasonable amounts of sodium, but some won't, that's when sometimes supplementation with additional sodium becomes beneficial because you're losing sweat. And, and electrolytes or sodium specifically in fluids at such a rapid rate that that kind of supplementing them or putting them in through any other way is not is not particularly going to work. So a lot of the time, you know, if we're working with athletes who are losing a lot of a lot of sweat and a lot of sodium in conjunction with whatever they drink during exercise, we might encourage them to eat um, more salty foods. To, to get electrolytes back in between training sessions and aid their recovery and that sort of thing. And that, that in itself is an interesting topic because it, it basically goes against what is perceived common wisdom of, of what is healthy. Sure. Um, you know, everyone is told to reduce sodium in their diet as a general rule. And although that probably is a, you know, a good message for people who aren't exercising long durations or, or having high amounts of sweat output it's actually potentially extremely bad advice for endurance athletes uh, who are training a lot so, so if we if we take that and I, I love boiling complex to simple as much as we can and yeah if we take that you sort of drink to thirst concept to ver versus let's say a really strategic hydration plan yeah is there a sort of an ABC of a framework in either training or racing where you say to to performance driven people, this is where you can drink to thirst or, or and even potentially even just have water? Yeah. But these are the scenarios where you really need to have a hydration plan. 
Yeah, definitely. There's there's a few different factors in there. Um, first of all, I would say in general, we encourage athletes to over time really, really learn to listen to their bodies so that things like responding to thirst and hunger cues and cravings for carbohydrates or salts or fluids, they be it becomes intuitive and they become better able to self-monitor and self-manage when they're racing and training so so having the more generally speaking the more experienced an athlete and the, the better a track record they've got of managing their their nutrition and hydration intake the more we would push them to rely on intuition and thirst and things like that to decide how much and when to drink and that sort of thing, how much electrolyte to take in. I remember speaking to Craig Alexander quite a few years ago when I, I used to do some writing for 220 Triathlon Magazine and I was interviewing him about his, his race nutrition and he had a very intuitive approach to what he would take in on race day. He would make sure he had lots of the right things that he normally got on with available, but the amount that he took of water, salt, calories, etc., was quite variable from race to race because he tweaked it up and down based on how he was feeling. But at that level, and with that level of experience, athletes are able to, to rely largely on intuition because they've got a huge database of experience to draw on and very they're very in touch with their bodies. Sure. I think if you go right to the other extreme and say for a novice athlete, maybe doing their first Ironman or doing their first ultra-distance run or long-distance cycling sportive, we take a, a, a more prescriptive approach uh, if we can, we don't ever tell people this is exactly how much you need to drink or you should have a plan which is X, Y, and Z and it's followed to the letter, but we would give them much stronger guidance on saying, right, we it looks like you should, you know, based on the conditions, based on what we know about you as an individual, you should be drinking between you know, 500 milliliters or about 16 ounces and, and um, 750 milliliters and 24 ounces of fluid per hour that's the kind of ballpark we think you should be playing in. If you're going way beyond that, it may be that you're drinking a bit too much and we need to back it off. If you're not hitting that, you know, 16 ounces an hour target, then maybe we do need to, to up it a little bit more because as you, as you'll know, Matt, from, from experience, you know, working with athletes at different levels, novice athletes often with their nutrition, hydration will, will go along. Okay. For a couple of hours, three hours, and then fall off a cliff because they didn't see it coming. They didn't yeah. see the, the, the crash coming. So we would, we would coach people more closely to, to have a plan. The best way to describe it, though, I think, overall is that we would encourage everyone when they're undertaking a pretty strenuous activity or a long duration activity to have a, a plan in place which is flexible but which gives them some guidance on, right, based on either past experience and trial and error or some, some lab testing advice from someone professional who knows what they're doing. This is the ballpark in which you're going to be playing in, in terms of you know, amount of fluid per hour amount of sodium per hour, amount of calories per hour. And the, and it gives you a, a range. And then you go and you go and you work within that range. So A, you make sure you've got what you need available so you're not going short. But but also you're not then just tempted when the kind of panic sets in on the day to go, oh, okay, well, a bit more is going to be better and, and just go a bit crazy and go overboard. And turn into a foie gras goose type thing. 
Yeah, because we see people, the, this, the data is out there so to suggest that some of the people who do Ironman events, especially quite slowly and ultra marathons, can actually gain weight during an event because they overconsume. They're tempted to overconsume fluid, sodium, calories, or all three. And that can be you know, quite, quite negative for health and performance. It, it really is. And what, what about on the, the other side of the scale? And uh, I often get this question, and uh, it, it, because many time staff people have this, okay, I'm going to get up in the morning and my training session is 60 minutes or 70 minutes. Yeah. What's, what's the hydration approach for that? Well, I, I do a lot of my training in that particular scenario you know I have to get up and at it first thing and I think the first thing to do is most people when they get up in the morning they you can do a very you can do a very simple hydration assessment on yourself which is you're going to get up and decide basically do I feel you know normal not thirsty at all or particularly thirsty and that's that's a very easy thing to to think about and if you feel normal or not thirsty at all then you're probably already starting the day okay you're not going to be dehydrated the second check is when you go for a pee how dark is it because the first pee that you have in the day is often the most accurate indicator of your background hydration status it hasn't been affected by you know drinking anything caffeinated or taking in a large amount of fluid which could cause you to to wee more so if you wake up and you are feeling okay and your pee is like a normal kind of straw colored color then there's there's not if you're training for you know 45 60 minutes i don't think there's anything special you need to do about your hydration before you go you might choose to have a, a small drink but essentially just crack on the the time when it becomes a bit more you know you, you have to you have to make a decision is okay you've woken up you feel real thirsty and actually you've gone for a wee and it is quite dark and you if you've trained the day before this could this could be why you did a heavy session then at that point we would say well you know maybe it's a good idea to actually nibble back 10-15 minutes of that session get get some fluids and electrolytes inside you give it 10 minutes 15 minutes to start to digest and absorb before you start to to make sure that you're not going to put yourself into a deeper hole um, so it's a little bit of you know self self assessment before you head before you head out. And in many ways, you you just mentioned deeper hole there. That's uh, I, I'm gathering that's not just in in the myopic lens of performance during that workout, but it's stringing together life as well. Yeah, so sort of yeah. trying to come out the weeds. Absolutely, because if you're good, if you're getting up to train early in the morning to squeeze it in, presumably you're off to work afterwards, or you're looking after the kids, or you're doing something which is going to require you to be on on the ball. And you know, if you if you start a session mildly dehydrated and you push yourself pretty hard, especially if it's an indoor session like a spinning class or a turbo session or a treadmill run or something where you're going to sweat a lot, then you are you are potentially going to feel quite lousy afterwards and that's going to affect your cognitive performance your physical performance it's going to affect your recovery if you want to train later in the day or the next day so I mean, a great example would be out out here on training in um, southern california here myself at the moment where it's, it's definitely warmer than what i'm used to at home this time of year and i'm making a, i'm making a concerted effort to have an extra either large um, glass of water or a large glass of um, you know one of the electrolyte drinks before i go to bed at night and 
actually this morning I got up and did some some hill running reps, but a, a, as well as a, a coffee, I had a about eight ounces of electrolyte drink as well, 30 minutes before I went, just to really you know, help keep on top of it because I'm doing a lot more sweating than I'm, I'm used to at this time of year. J- jump jump back to uh, something that you mentioned there around cognitive function, and, and I think this is important for people that are integrating sport into a really big life, which most of our listeners are. They have, as you said, roles and responsibilities to thrive and function and be on the ball over the course of the day at work or the day with the kids, whatever it might be. Talk about what we always focus so much on the consequences of dehydration on running performance or riding performance. What about daily performance? What's the impact of walking through life slightly dehydrated, always in a hole? There's, there are some studies out there that have been done on um, – one of them, an interesting one, was done on driving performance and people who are driving in a, a dehydrated or well-hydrated state, and it's shown um, reductions in reaction times and, uh, and awareness and that sort of thing when people are mild to moderately dehydrated. Um, we certainly see it in some of the more skill-based sports that we work with where baseball, basketball, often the – the coaches and the the support staff that are working with the players will say that they they think that they see improvements in cognitive performance, reaction time, motor skills, those sort of things, or not necessarily improvements. Sorry, but they see they they see less of a drop off if proper hydration is maintained. One really interesting one, which isn't um, so much related to the the work performance, but I think. You know, kind of could be is that one of the signs we often hear ultra runners who are running trail runs mention when they start to become electrolyte depleted or dehydrated is that they'll often um, reduce their motor skills and they they sort of get a bit of a brain fog and then start tripping over things or not picking their feet up properly and stuff and and i think that that could certainly spill over if you've if you if you're getting chronically dehydrated from lots and lots of training it's going to affect your 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 all all of all aspects of your life basically and and sometimes it's quite insidious it can creep up on you if you're not careful um, and only gets exposed then when when you end up you know feeling particularly lousy and, and it's quite interesting you know the when we think about coming back to heavily training athletes, there's, there's a common misconception that proper hydration means that you would complete a hard session at a fully hydrated state. But that that's not the case, is it? The mission of proper hydration is not to retain a hundred percent hydration status. No, absolutely not. There's a big there's a big fluctuation in in your hydration status when you're training a lot. And there's an, you absolutely should not be trying to replace 100% of what you're losing, you know, before or even immediately after a session. There's, when you look at hydration status in the body, it sort of tends to, if, if everything is, is going well and you are meeting your needs, it will normalize every 24 hours, really. So you might, you might end up reasonably dehydrated by two, three, four, even some, for some athletes, five or 6% by body weight dehydrated at the end of a long hard training session and the mission isn't to try and avoid that nor is it to try and you know smash loads of fluids into your body immediately post session to get it back it's to allow yourself to recover so that you know when the next 24 hour cycle begins the next morning you're back in 
in good shape. There's a, there's a very interesting paper that was written by some guys that were studying hydration status in military recruits. And they, what they did was they took a very simple metric, which they called the WUT, which is the weight, urine, color, and thirst metric, put it all together to, to create an idea of, of testing if someone is hydrated each morning. And basically they measured the body weight and see when, when you first get out of bed and see if it's, you know, balanced from where it was on, on baseline yesterday, whether it's up or down significantly. They were, were asking people, do you feel thirsty or not? And they were looking at the urine color and saying, was it dark or was it normal? And then putting all of that into a Venn diagram, so three overlapping circles. And if in the center of that, if your weight was more than a percent and a half down, you're very feeling thirsty and your urine's dark, it's a big red flag that you probably are dehydrated. You know, if you've only got two out of three of those factors, there's a good chance you might be a bit dehydrated. And if you've only got one, so you might wake up feeling thirsty, but your weight's normal and your urine's clear, maybe you know, there's another reason for that. It's not likely to be low, just purely low body water. I thought that was a really interesting concept. It, it's uh, yeah, it, it's and it's very it's very simple, simple and relatively easy to apply essentially. Yeah. So, uh, which which is quite practical. The um, it was something you mentioned there, it, which which I think is really interesting. You have a, a heavily training athlete who is a let's call it appropriately getting dehydrated in their training, yeah. and then is stringing together probably afternoon sessions. And I'll ask, ask you about afternoon sessions yeah. in a second, but. So their job of hydration, let's call it daily hydration between, is really to restore hydration status. Yeah. Then you have a time-starved, busy executive, let's say, that is training in the morning, and their role of daily hydration is to restore some hydration status, probably from a, a, a less shallow deficit, Yeah. but to thriving cognitive function, focused decision-making. Yeah. So, so both have critical roles, and... And, and what I'm drawing from you to sort of make it really simple is it's that's not chugging down a gallon of fluids in the hour post. It's actually a habitual thing to stay uh, sort of hydrated throughout the day. Definitely. It's, really it's staying it's staying on top of it in, in the long run and understanding things like there's a lot of controversy about, for instance, in, in day-to-day life, you know, people wondering whether – if they drink caffeinated drinks, whether they're going to make them dehydrated or not. And that's a really interesting one because it was always presumed a long time ago that, you know, if you drink too much caffeinated, too many caffeinated beverages, you would, because of the diuretic effect that cause you to wee, your hydration status would be negatively affected. Then a whole raft of studies came out that, that sort of aimed or purported to disprove that saying that, you know, when we actually measure hydration status in people who drink, multiple cups of coffee and things like that although they do wee more the net fluid gain is still there because they're drinking liquids and it doesn't make any difference Uh, my own interpretation of that though is 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 somewhat different in that i know for sure that everyone responds very differently to caffeine both in the terms of the stimulant effect but also the diuretic effect and for me i know that you know if i'm working and doing big big back-to-back days of work the 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 biggest way that i will become you know sort of dehydrated and start to function poorly especially if i'm training in the evenings is is to drink too many caffeinated drinks you know i have to limit myself to one or two a day preferably in the 
in the early morning and then I'm on to sipping, you know, water or um, juices or electrolyte drinks if I'm training uh, because it's it's just much it for me that that works in terms of maintaining fluid balance dripping that in throughout the day if i start on the the afternoon caffeinated drinks that's a slippery slope towards you know becoming progressively dehydrated for other people it seems to be less impactful but i think that's one one dimension where people who are working really need to figure out what works for them and, and i and- and and I think that the the people that do get those sort of afternoon slumps, one of the one of the the counteracting components of that is rather than grabbing certainly a Red Bull, but but yeah. certainly a cup of coffee as well. The other thing is to is to grab a hot drink that can raise their core temperature because there is some core temperature stuff going with the the circadian, circadian rhythm, yeah, where it it cools and it creates fatigue as well, which also yeah. does dehydration. Yeah, another yeah. part of it is you might just be dehydrated. And then the other thing I'd say is the impact, you know, you, you drink, people drink coffee at three o'clock in the afternoon to wake them up, but they get into the, if that will disrupt sleep at night, then you're getting into the vicious cycle, aren't you? Because Yeah, yeah, very much so. That's definitely something that I find with myself. The only time I, I, I break that habit will, will tend to be when I've flown somewhere and I'm jet lagged and kind of trying to stay awake in the afternoon evening on the first couple of days i might you know have a coffee in the afternoon in order to do that um but i don't often find that to be although it can be you know very short term helpful it's not often i i I try not to carry it on as a habit because i've learned you know the hard way on on the fact that that can then negatively you know affect you in terms of sleep quality also in terms of hydration status for a couple of days and of course because if you're you know, talking in the jet lag context because a lot of i'm sure a lot of your listeners will be people who travel quite a bit you know quite a bit of air travel air travel combined you know jet lag plus the the dryness of the air plus the fact that at airports people drink a lot of coffee often a lot of alcohol the the recipe for dehydration there is massive and you know i've with all the long haul flying i've done in the last few years i've i've definitely got into a much better habit of really minimizing caffeine really minimizing or avoiding alcohol drinking a lot more water and electrolyte drinks on the plane and found that that's made a huge difference to how i feel when i travel and then subsequently how you can perform and function at work the, the day or two after you you get to where you're going i think we could do a whole show on travel and, and mm. people would absolutely love it but uh i want to give you a, a one quick one minute on alcohol because you mentioned it yeah that's a common one a couple of glasses of wine at night a beer every night a lot of people sort of have that as a part of their routine what's the impact of that on a hydration status i think if you're if you're habituated to it and it's a it's a you know a reasonably small amount then i don't think it has any particularly negative effect at all really um not from not based on my own experience and from what the research literature says uh, again it comes down to that 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 sort of dose response thing one maybe one beer you you don't have so much of a diuretic effect and you don't wake up with a, a dry mouth and that kind of thing if it becomes two or three then it can start to to push you the wrong way on that and it's and it's about understanding what your your tolerances are on that so i mean i i I enjoy a glass of wine definitely uh, or a beer or, or whatever and think that that's if that's all part of your your relaxation regime or just what you enjoy doing or socializing whatever it's 
it's it's definitely not something to I don't think you get any additional benefit from you know completely going teetotal and cutting it out if you don't want to do that um but I think you do have to you have a pretty rigorous limit on if you're getting up and training the next day although you might be able to do it after a few beers you are probably starting on the back foot from a hydration perspective and there's you know that's 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 when you're you're rolling the dice a little bit in terms of your one more question then i want to want to ask about precision one more time because i'm very interested in that but i I think it will be remiss of me we talked about morning hydration with training many people train in the afternoon and evening so there's no doubt that what you do in the day will impact that as well yeah we've talked about waking can we can you just spend a couple of minutes on afternoon training yeah i think if you're if uh, if you're afternoon training and especially if you've been training in the morning before it that's one of the few occasions when we would really sort of advocate people to have a more aggressive approach to their hydration we have a we have a product actually called um, precision hydration 1500 which is which contains 1500 milligrams of sodium per liter which is quite a strong amount Mm -hmm. of electrolytes in it and if after the first session we encourage people to to drink around you know around about 16 ounces or 500 milliliters of that if they are going to go on and do a session later in the day and potentially even have another bottle of it about 45 to 60 minutes before that second session starts because there's a a huge amount of evidence scientific evidence and also just practical experience shows that if you put that additional sodium load in a drink that you have post pre uh, post and pre-exercise you hold on to so much more but you end up peeing less of it out and you you restore your hydration status quite a bit faster oh interesting so so that's one of the few times when we do and that's so so a huge example of that would be the the big guys playing american football in the nfl in pre-season in kind of august time when it's very very hot often they're they're doing two a day practices one in the morning one in the afternoon they have they often have to go on a very aggressive hydration rehydration pre-hydration regime between those two sessions because otherwise after four or five days you can get a very stepwise dehydration depletion situation and they end up in a bit of a mess that's interesting so tell me about precision uh, precision a little bit with the process uh, for a couple of minutes you mentioned the sort of 15 to 20 minute protocol i think yeah. you can it, it's possible for the for the athlete or the the client the customer to be able to do testing within a center but also remotely yeah yeah absolutely we so with precision the the whole goal of what we're trying to do is give people education and ideas about how to individualize their own approach to hydration the the if you want to go you know from the top down the the kind of real high performance way to do that is to is to see come and see us or go to a center where we've installed a sweat testing machine where you can have a sweat test which measures your sweat sodium composition it takes you through um a soft a piece of software that asks you all the questions which has got an algorithm behind it that then processes all that information and spits out a pretty detailed report on on what we think you should do hydration wise based on the type of event you're doing the type of training you're doing and that's like our high level 
service but but you have to physically go to somewhere where you can get a sweat test and if people go to our website precisionhydration.com they can have a look at where the, the centers are we've got them over different parts of the us um, we've got a lot in the uk we've got one in south africa one in australia and and that network's growing all the time at a, at a more immediately accessible level you can jump on our website and click um, click the link in the top bar that says uh, get a free hydration plan and that takes you through an online only questionnaire which is again got an algorithm that sits behind it and it asks you a lot of intelligent questions about the type of workouts you do what you think of your sweat rate whether you're you know you don't sweat a lot or you do think you should have a heavy sweat output whether you get muscle cramps regularly or not whether you see white salt marks on your kit and it takes all those inputs and then gives you some guidance on where to start some controlled trial and error for yourself and that's been very popular because obviously it's, it's quick and easy and free and, and it gets people off the line so that's where we encourage most people to start you can also we are we see ourselves as a very much so as a, a sort of a free athlete consultancy and if you email us at hello at precisionhydration.com or contact us for the, the, the usual social medias and things we've got a, a great guy um, James Phillips who's a young um, semi-pro triathlete sports scientist he he manages our our risk, uh, customer responses and we'll, we'll we'll get back to you within 24 48 hours with with answers to any questions that you've got about hydration and nutrition that's what we're you know geared up to do yeah that that's super and we'll, we'll actually um uh we'll actually be heading or, or adding all the information to the show notes but i guess what what's the easiest way i think you mentioned it just say it one more time what's the easiest way for for purple patch listeners to be able to try the product uh if, the, if yeah if purple patch listeners want to try our products then the best thing for them to do is go to precisionhydration.com try the, the free online sweat test then um, use the the code purple patch or lowercase and they'll get an additional 15 percent off their their first order so they can give it a try um, so we'll yeah we'll, we'll put that out in the we can put that out in the notes as well but purple patch lowercase and you'll get 15 percent off your first order Fantastic. I, d- I didn't know you were going to do that. So that's a, that's a very organic. Thank you very much. That's uh, that's really appreciated, Andy. Now, you think you're off the hook. You think we're done. But we have three, actually four, short fire, very quick questions for you. The quick and dirty. Okay. We call it Desert Island. You, uh, yeah. you don't escape this. You have to do it, I'm afraid. Yeah. And uh, you cannot say things like many of the Americans will say the Bible and uh, the Star Spangled Banner when you answer these questions. But I have <laughs> I have four quick questions for you go and for uh, you can go from the gut on this. Yeah. So so the first and this is to give everyone the listeners the context, as most of you guys know, it's desert island. So you are going to be exiled to a desert island. You cannot take many things with you you only have a few things and the first question is if you could bring one piece of music with you what would it be and why we want context with this uh that's a good one that would be i think i would bring uh purple haze by Jimi hendrix because when i was when i was younger uh my friend ben mason and i were as well as potentially being convinced I was going to be a professional footballer my next option was a rock star and Purple Haze was what I first the first thing I learned to play on the guitar I don't know if I could still play it now but I used to play it pretty badly but that's (laughs) one of my favorite still one of my favorite tunes actually have you ever played it uh, softly to Paul Newsom 
just says he's sat in the corner. <laughs> See, we've got through the whole show without telling stories about Paul Newsom, so I so I had to get oh, him in there. Yeah, no, there's a few. We could definitely we could do another show all about that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, the next question: If you had one book to bring, what would it be and why? That's a, that that is a, that's a tough one because I'm a I'm a pretty avid reader. I read a, I, I love reading. Um, book the one of the best books i've read recently which i could definitely read again was um by phil knight the founder of nike and it's called shoe dog and it's it's incredible story an entrepreneurial story of, of how he founded the business that that we all sort of see today which is a huge global business and how he started it. i think he borrowed 700 dollars from his dad and got the shoe company going so that that i found that book particularly inspirational yeah, it's. Uh, I have yet to read it, but we actually have it, so that's on my uh, it's on my holiday list. So I'm yeah. uh, I'm in, now I'm even more intrigued. So you yeah. have one other thing that you can pack in your very small bag. Don't yeah. go survivalist on me. Don't talk about matches or anything like that. What else would you bring? Well, it, my wife um, convinced me for my fortieth birthday that I should get a Kindle because I read so much. And I was really anti the idea, actually, because I love, you know, I thought I'd love reading books. But now that I've got my Kindle, I've got about 400 books that a friend loaded up onto me for. I'd probably have to bring that. I don't know if I'd be able to recharge it on the island, but it'd be quite nice to imagine I could lay under a palm tree and just do a lot of reading. There you go. Not too bad. <laughs> and you have one, the last question is, uh, you have the chance as you get thrown on the boat to exile, you can offer the world one piece of advice before you go. What would it be? Mm. Uh, one piece of advice probably that if you're going to if you're going to go and try and do something significant it's it will take at least three times as long as you thought and be ten times more difficult but if you persevere with it it'll be worth it that resonates 100 <laughs> percent that's what i'd like that's that's what i'd like to be able to teach my my son is what it's what trying to start a business has hopefully been teaching me so try and pass that one on it's uh that's super well andy uh thank you so much for sharing for being so open so pragmatic and uh and really sort of an, an inspirational talk I, I really appreciate it i know we went over time but uh but thank you so much for being on the show no thanks thanks for having me on matt anytime really enjoyed it well folks I gotta say, I love that discussion. I hope you did too. Intrigued with Precision? Andy and the team at Precision have graciously put together an offer just for Purple Patch listeners. You can go to precisionhydration.com to receive a free hydration plan as well as using this code Purple Patch. That's all one word, all lowercase, Purple Patch, and you'll get 15% off any product purchases. Okay, I'm out of breath. I think that's enough for this week, don't you? I'm off to hydrate. Here's hoping there's some beer in the fridge. All right, take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. 
Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers! <laughs>